Welcome to Doing CX Right, a podcast where we discuss how to differentiate brands by doing customer experience right, fueled by happy, valued employees. I'm your host, Stacey Sherman, an author, award-winning blogger, and keynote speaker, passionate to help you humanize business to achieve real results. On today's episode, you'll hear my guest talk about getting customers back to buy again and again. He talks about the difference between repeat business versus loyal customers. What is it and how do you do it? Well, get your notepad out because you're going to hear a lot of actionable tips so that you are really doing CX right. Let's get on with the show. I'm so excited to introduce you to a guy who really needs no introduction, and that is Shep Hyken. Welcome, Shep. Hey, that's good. That, that was a quick introduction, you know, and it should be quick. If the guy's good, get on with it. If he's bad, get it over with. Either way, <laughs> quicker is better. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Well, I really highly doubt that people don't know who you are, but just in case... Who are you, Shep Hyken? And is there anything that someone doesn't know about you as our fun fact? I'm Shep Hyken, customer service and experience expert. Actually, when people say, what do you do for a living? I ask them a question. I go, have you ever walked away from a business and thought, wow, that was a great experience? And they'll go, yeah. I go, well, that's what I help my clients do. <laughs> that's it. And I do it through, we have, you know, I speak all around the world. I have trainers that deliver my content. Uh, I've written uh, seven books, an eighth one due to come out in just a few months. And what else can I tell you? We podcast, video, sh- uh, TV show. We, we do it all. Yes, you do. And what's a fun fact when you're not? Oh, fun at- fact. Um, well, I play guitar and I play guitar with John Mayer on a pretty regular basis. Yeah, isn't that cool? Yeah, so I actually, at nighttime, I go to uh, the John Mayer YouTube channel and I just start playing his songs and play along with them. Gotcha! Uh, <laughs> you did get me! I know I did, I know I did. But I do play guitar and I do play with um, John Mayer, Eric Clapton, Allman Brothers, Carlos Santana, and I play with dead bands as well. So <laughs> if they're on YouTube, I'm playing with them. That's fit. You know, good thing you, 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 told, you were transparent here because I was going to get on a flight and fly to you today. <laughs> And and literally join you because that was really exciting. So you got me. So let's talk about your new book because it's so relevant to what we're talking about. Customer experience, employee experience, and doing it right. Not just thinking about it, talking about it, but really doing it. So let's let's get to customer loyalty and repeat purchasers. What does that mean to you? Sure. And first of all, I'm very excited because just this week, here it is. I'll be back. How to get your customers to come back again and again. This is the galley copy. It's not the real one will be hardbound and it'll be coming out. Uh, But I will say if you are interested in the book, you can purchase it today. You just go to I'llBeBackBook.com and you will get the ebook immediately even though the hardcover won't come out for a while. But you will almost immediately after reading Get your customers to say, I'll be back. So, but to answer your question, uh, yes. the idea, uh, one of the things that I've learned is that repeat business is not loyal business, although some companies confuse it. It's like some companies say we have a loyalty program. No, it's not a loyalty program, but that's a marketing program to get people to come back. If you were to take away those perks, would they come back? That's how you know you have loyalty, mm-hmm. if they will. But anyway, mm-hmm. the difference between a repeat business and loyal business, and by the way, 
Repeat customers are gold. Loyal customers are sacred. And the delineation is you think you might have loyalty and all you have is repeat. And I would go for repeat. You need that before you get to loyalty. So they're both there. You're going to be chasing both of them no matter what. But I think the ultimate goal here is to create a customer that comes back again and again that wouldn't consider doing business for any other reason uh, unless you let them down uh, with anyone else. And they'd be willing to talk about you and share their experiences with others. So how do you do that? How do you, <laughs> right? Those, that's the magic here. But give, give people a teaser. And I want you to think about it from this point of view, that you're going to have uh, novice, you know, novice yep. CX gurus and experts, sure. you know, a mix listening today. Well, I'm going to give you just some bullet points from the new book, but these are topics and ideas that I've been talking about for a long time. And whenever I do a new book, I need to make sure 75, 80% of the content is brand new. Every book has fundamental ideas that I've been talking about since the very beginning. The first is the moment of truth, managing that interaction. And it goes one of three ways. It goes bad, which is a moment of misery. It's a moment of mediocrity, which is average. Average is not good. Average is just acceptable. And then there's a moment of magic, which is anything better than average. Sometimes it's over the top, but most of the time it's just a little bit better than average. Uh, one of the things we talk about is, is how do you get to be amazing? Amazing. Again, it's not over the top, better than average, but it's better than average all the time. So on a scale of one to five, if you put average as a three, if you're a 3.3, which is like 10% better than average, consistently and predictably, then you're probably going to get a five from your customer because your customers will say, you know, they always get back to me quickly. You know, you, again, you don't have to go over the top to do this. You just respond quickly. You, you're friendly. You're knowledgeable, or you at least know where to go to get the information that your customer is asking for. So they'll say things like, you know, always friendly, always knowledgeable, always helpful, quick to, always quick to get back to me. And, you know, the, if you have a problem or a complaint, if you don't resolve it, you might get a one. Okay, but if you resolve it the right way, you jump right back to a five. You just don't want to resolve it to fix it. You want to resolve it to restore the customer's confidence to come back with you again. So getting that five is just simply it, that customer going, and even when there's a problem, I know I can, here's that word, always count on them to fix it for me. So those are the fundamentals, the foundational concepts, if you will. Uh, but then I want you to think about, I mean, I could go through list after list, but here's what I want you to recognize. One of the early chapters, which we talk about, you know, what do you measure? And everybody measures NPS, the likelihood, to not everybody, but many do, uh, the likelihood that you would recommend them, customer satisfaction scores, customer effort scores. There's all different types of measurements that you can look at to say, hey, how, are we doing a good job? But the one measurement that is sometimes neglected, actually I'll say often, uh, but it's, it's one that you have to look at like every day, and that is the customer's behavior. Do they come back? Because when you measure with typical data, you're measuring the history. It's, it's a past experience. It might be earlier today or yesterday, but it's a history lesson. I want to know, is the customer coming back? And that repeat business is what I'm looking for. And when I start to see that cadence or that repetition, some type of a, of a process there where I can say, okay, I'm looking at customers, how often do they come back? How much more do they spend when they do come back? Because all the stats and facts will tell you that somebody that comes back, even for that true loyalty is, is involved there, but even if they keep coming back, they're gonna spend more than if they go somewhere else because they know you, they know what they're getting, they, they trust you a little bit more. 
and it goes on from there. Yes. And I believe that when they don't come back, the leaders also need to know that and dig into the why. We'll, we'll actually, I'll call customers and find out. And what I like about, especially CX gurus or, or leaders in companies, it's better for the CX non-biased, the sales folks, if they call the customer, they may not get really the, the truth because there was that relationship and there could be that discomfort. But I recommend when there's that CX leaders who are really about the customer well-being, calling the customer and finding out the why. Yeah. And you know what I would do? And, and I know you know this as well as anybody, Stacey. You need to listen to what your customer is saying on the front line. So are you shadowing a customer service rep? If You know, in my very first book written back in the 1980s, the late 1980s, so it's not as uh, was <laughs> was titled Moments of Magic. And in that book, I mentioned that the executives at Anheuser-Busch actually once a quarter are required to go with the salesperson to go visit customers and see what it's like in the different areas where they sell beer, grocery stores, restaurants, uh, nightclubs, you know, all the different places. Anyway, the point of that is they want to find out what the customers are really saying. Well, today you can sit in on your support center, folks. You can listen in. You can even take the calls. One of the stories I talk about in the new book is about how at Microsoft, an executive went down to the call center, wherever that was, or went to the building and said, I want to take a couple of support calls. I want to see what's happening. Somebody called and the gentleman said, hello, thanks for calling Microsoft. This is William. How may I help you? And Yes, it's that William, William Gates, Bill Gates. He said, I want to go down. And what's very funny is the follow-up to that was that customer called back and said, I talked to this really helpful gentleman. Is there any way that I could talk to him again? Yeah. <laughs> That's good. That's that's coming back. Yep. <laughs> you know, reminds me also at a place that I had vacationed, Woodlock Pines uh, Resort. And I was fascinated by the fact that when we walked in the door, the person greeting us was the owner of this lodge. And it was the owner. And then not only did he greet us coming in, but he also during when we're eating in the restaurant, he went from table to table and asked, how are you? How's your meal? How's your visit? The, the owner. And this is a, you know, a, a very upscale place that he could certainly hire people to go do that. Yeah. He was doing it. Yeah. I love that. I love that. And you know what else? As he did, he made you feel pretty special that the owner would take the time as opposed to, you know, you'd be happy. Hi, I'm the GM of the resort. Um, I just want to introduce myself and let you know. That's pretty powerful too. Uh, but it's not the server coming over and saying, hey, just checking everything all right so far. It's a little different. By the way, the server should still do that. Don't get me wrong. The restaurant manager might want to stop by, but take it to another level. Wow. Wow. Can you imagine Bill Gates calling me a Microsoft user I mean, and he, there's millions of us, right? Millions. But hi, Shep, uh, you don't know me. My name's Bill Gates. I'm the you know founder of Microsoft. Come on. This is a friend of mine calling. It's a prank call. Yeah. No, no, it's really me. <laughs> but yes, wow moments and memorable moments that keep you coming back. Yep. Absolutely. So, so let's talk about the employee for a second. Yep. How do you get employees engaged 
and committed to really focus on getting the customer back. Right, How do you right. drive that culture? And actually, one of the chapters is called the Culture Challenge. But let's talk about it. And regardless of what's in the book or not, let, let me give you a quick answer. Number one, there has to be a very clear defined vision of what the customer service or the experience is supposed to be. I love to use the Ritz-Carlton's version. It's nine words long. We're ladies and gentlemen serving ladies, ladies and gentlemen. It's so crystal clear. And when you come to work at the Ritz, that's what you learn first. And then you learn about the 24 gold standards that drive that. But let's go step back. Define what your vision is, one sentence or less. This isn't part, of, it can be part of, but it's separate from your company vision, mission, value statements, whatever you have. This is simply your experience or your service statement. And it's one sentence or less, so everybody knows it. And by the way, everybody means everybody, not just frontline people. It's part of the culture. Number two, you're constantly communicating this vision. Number three, you're constantly training people. Onboarding, you might train them a little bit more. Somebody who's on the front line in the support center or in a sales position might get a little different training than somebody in the warehouse or in the accounting department, but they're all properly trained to start things off. And then there's constantly middle these little trainings. And in some cases, it could be five minutes every week or two of a reminder of the importance of service, or it could be something a little bit more robust, but you're continuously training because training isn't something you did. It needs to be something you do. Step number four is to make sure if you're a leader, you are representing the company and the way, the behavior that you want exhibited by others. People will look to leadership, management, supervisors and say, okay, that's how I'm supposed to act. I actually talk about this idea called the employee golden rule, which the, you know, the golden rule we always grew up with. And there were two versions. Uh, one was he who has the gold makes the rules. That's a different golden rule. Uh, do unto others as you went done unto yourself is what we learned as children, right? Well, the employee golden rule is to do unto employees as you want done unto customers. And that way you kind of set the tone and teach them by actually what they're experiencing internally. Because what's happening inside of an organization is felt on the outside by the customer. Number five is to uh, keep people in alignment, defend the culture. If somebody's going out of alignment, not doing what they're supposed to be doing, they get coached, they get mentored. On a larger company that might have 100,000 employees, you're worldwide, it might be an entire division or it could be a region uh, throughout the world. You must keep everybody in alignment because that's representing your brand. And finally, number six, you celebrate it when it works. If it's working, let people know they're doing a great job. Yes, I wanna highlight that last point a lot. Because so often people, leaders look at the scores and look at the detractors or the dissatisfaction and they forget to look at the happy customers who actually mention employees by name. Yep. And that, what a golden opportunity to go to that employee and say, thank you. Look how awesome, like the customer mentioned you by name and it happened so much. Yeah, you're 100% right. Here's my take on that. The squeaky wheel gets the oil. I'm actually writing an article, uh, almost finished with it. I, I was hoping to get it finished before we started our interview. I'm thinking, can I get it done? Can I get it done? But I'm like one paragraph away from wrapping it all up. But somebody said to me, uh, asked me the other day, why does it seem, can't remember the exact wording of the question, but it was something like, it seems like more and more I'm experiencing bad customer service. And I said, I bet you're not. I bet you're just noticing bad customer service more than you notice the good customer service. Because what's expected, and this was my line, this is what came to me, like 
I'm telling you, it came to me at four this morning and I woke up and I tried to I use my thumbs. You can't believe how poorly I text myself at four in the morning, but I got the gist of it. What's expected is not noticed nearly as much as what is not expected. And the problem is even the exceptional experience, while it is noticed, what gets noticed more is the negative experience. That's why all the stats and facts that point to this type of thing say, you know, uh, it started off with the Technical Assistance Research Program, which was commissioned by the White House Office of Consumer Affairs back in the late, late 1980s under George Bush, uh, the first George Bush who was president. And he, he took uh, and he asked these people to come up with some data about business. And they said one of the stats was if you have a bad experience, it takes six good experiences to make up for a bad experience. Now, I will tell you, if you have a bunch of good experiences and then you zing a bad one in there, <laughs> guess what? All that good goes away till you come back with at least six more. And if you go to McDonald's, that number uh, was as high as 18 good things or something like that have to happen for something that happens bad. And at, at Disney, it's even higher than that. It's in the 20s. And the goal is you've got to get people to forget about that bad incident. But anyway, I digress. The point is what's expected doesn't really get noticed. It's like, it's supposed to be this way. I'm supposed to be treated with dignity and respect. And if I have a problem, yeah, there's a little hassle that I'm gonna have to call the support center or go online and go to a tutorial. But if they've done it right, I'm gonna be happy when it's all over with. And yeah. really that's what, what our companies, that everybody listening and watching this show should recognize that in the end, what we want is a customer that walks away happy. But the squeaky wheel will get the oil, and it takes a little bit more oil to get completely rid of that squeak than it is just like, well, here's a bad incident. Let's just you know balance it out with something good. Yeah, you remind me back to my, um, I spent about 15, 16 years in telecommunications, AT&T and Verizon, and you remind me of like dial tone. If you pick up the phone expecting to hear that. But yep. if you don't, there's the problem. And same with an elevator. You press the button, you expect it to come. Yep. You get where you need to go. So it's when it doesn't work, that's the issue. That's what gets noticed. And then it has to get fixed. And how it get fi gets fixed, yes. it will either further the trust and confidence that the customer has in the company, or it'll detract from it. Yes. And that brings to you communication and over communicating and all that impacts customers coming back. <laughs> I don't know how much over communicating is a problem. I mean, over communication can be a problem and, and you can ask a customer how much do yes. you want to hear from us depending upon what your business is. But yes. let me let me tell you what um, we learned is that, you know, what's one of the easiest businesses in the world that you would do business with? Think about it, Stacey. Who, who do you like? I'm sure, and if I ask an audience of 100 people, probably 95, maybe even 100 of them are going to tell me the same answer. And I'm thinking you're going to say Apple? Apple isn't number one, but it would be the number two answer. Uh, but it does start with an A. Amazon. Amazon. Yeah, everybody loves Amazon. So here's one of the things. Why do you like Amazon? They put the customer in complete control. And believe it or not, customers like that, okay? Number two. 
they give you the information you need to feel confident that everything's going to be all right. So as soon as you decide to buy whatever it is that you buy, and by the way, they let you compare reviews from one product to another. You can even compare prices. And Amazon will say, hey, we know of a place that you can get it at less money if you want to go outside of Amazon. Here's the link. <laughs> and that's how confident they are in the experience that they deliver, that they'll even share with you lower-priced uh, vendors. And what do most people choose to do? They choose to stay with Amazon. But um, I digress. Yeah. So what happens the moment you decide that you want whatever it is you're buying, you make the purchase, you immediately are informed via email your purchase has been accepted. Now the purchase, now your product is shipped. They let you know a couple hours later, and they give you tracking information. And then when it gets to your doorstep, they take a picture of it and you get an email with the picture of your box sitting next to your door or uh, or the little lady behind me. You can't see her, but I have one of those Amazon Echoes starts blinking and I go, what's my notification? And she will say, your package has arrived. Okay, I mean, they let me know. So what is that we like about that? Do we like the emails? Of course we don't like emails, but you know what we like? We like information and it just so happens that is the way they deliver, but we don't mind the email because it's something that we want anyway. Customers love information. If I go to the airport and I'm waiting for my flight and my flight's supposed to leave at four o'clock in the afternoon and it's 10 minutes to four and I don't see a plane at the gate, I'm gonna anticipate that plane is late. By the time they get the people off the plane and us on the plane, we're gonna be delayed. Why hasn't the gate agent picked up the loudspeaker or the microphone and said, hey, everybody, you probably noticed, just as I have, that there's no plane here. They don't do that. Traditionally, they don't do that. Typically, they don't do that. But And when they do, by the way, guess what happens? I've watched. If I get hear that announcement, there's a little bit of frustration. But I, I look around and, and the rest of the people, it's like they become relieved. Somebody's got their back giving them this information. And I love it when the gate agent says, and hey, everybody, I'm going to keep you informed. Every 15 minutes, I'm going to make an announcement and let you know what's going on. That plane is still in the departing city. It hasn't left yet. There's traffic on the runway. I'm going to let you know everything we need to know. And if you need to change your flight, just come and see me. But you know what happens? Everybody's letting chill at that point. But you don't give them that information. Stress levels are higher. Anger could even come out of that. What, anyway, the point I'm saying is, what is it that your customer wants? And you've got to give it to them. And in this case, uh, my ex my example of this case is, is information. Yes. And I was thinking over communicate in those situations where you are, you know, it's impacting your time, like the airlines or... Okay, my head goes to, I'm entrapped in an elevator. You cannot over-communicate enough. Like someone yep. saying, especially because I'm claustrophobic. So someone telling me, you're going to be okay. Someone's coming, where they are. You can't over-communicate. So, right. <laughs> but you're right. I mean, you can over-communicate, but there are cases like the ones we're describing where it is comforting. You get to the emotion. And that's part of it too. If you want to create loyalty, you've got to create some level of emotion. Even if that emotion is trust, it could be happiness. But without it, and people just doing business you know, there, if there's no emotional connection, it's not bad to have repeat business, but that's all it is, is repeat business. Yes. I love that. I got a question. If you could go back in time to younger Shep, I don't know, he's 21. With hair? 21. Shep with hair? Shep with 21. 21. Not much more hair, but yeah, there was hair back then. Okay. What would you tell you that you know now? First of all, I don't know. 
make sure you get out of school. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's a great, nobody's, what would I tell younger Shep? You know, Shep, it's going to be all right. Now, uh, I would say follow your heart, follow your passion. One of the things I've been so lucky is that my parents never questioned what I did. They never said, you need to go out and get a real job. When I graduated college and I wasn't sure what I was going to do, and I was thinking, what could I do? And I came up with this idea that I'd like to do basically what I'm doing now. I remember my mom could not articulate to her friends what it is that I did for a living. And this is what she said. I don't know exactly how to describe what he does, but I do know this. He never asks me for money. <laughs> so she goes, I guess he's doing okay. So I think that's part of it. I, I, if I'm looking back and I'm giving this advice to my children instead of me, and my children are now 31, 28, and almost 26 and about. If I had to talk to them, I would tell them the same thing that I'm glad that I did. And that was, I had a passion. I went for it. There is no job in the world if you have to have a job just for income, that's one thing. But if you can make a choice of what you do, do what you love, even if make a little less money doing it. My my middle daughter uh, was in a conundrum because she was leaving this company and she had two offers on the table. And one was for a substantial amount more, 25% more almost salary-wise than, than the other. She says, which one should I take? I go, well, who do you want to work for? I really want to work for the company that's paying less. And she explained why. And I said, that's what you've got to do. And she goes, really? I go, you've got to go and do what you love or you're going to be potentially unhappy. And just know that you're, you're, you're making a choice based on, on that to start with. And if it works, great. If not, you'll find your passion elsewhere. I agree. And one of the articles I'm writing right now is about Gen Z and Gen X. How do we work together? I'm a mom of two Gen Zs and... And I also hire Gen Z's. And so in the workplace, because they communicate so differently and just talked about the importance of communication. My God, I, my, my son doesn't look at his email and his phone is always blocked like it's filled. So I can't leave a message. And it's, it's just so different. So that's probably another conversation another day. It's important to know the different communication styles. Yes. We did a, a survey last year. We're doing the same question this year on this year's survey. It's called the, the 20, last year, it's called the 2020. This year, it's the 2021 for the year. ACA, Achieving Customer Amazement Survey. And one of the questions we asked was, what's your favorite method of communication? And we listed, you know, in-person, phone, email, texting, apps, you know, on a phone, social media. And above 40, the number one was, you can guess. Texting. No, phone. Over 40. Oh, number over one, 40. Of, yeah. Over 40, right. Under 40, it was actually some type of social media. Texting and email were actually very, very, all of them were pretty clustered. But because we had such a, a large sample, we were able to say this is statistically valid. While there wasn't a big difference, it was obvious. Under 40 went for the technology side, where over 40 went for the traditional phone technology, if you will. It's fascinating. So this year, we're taking a step further. We're asking that general question, and then we're listing all the industries. How do you want to connect with the various industries? Could it be you know, uh, airlines, uh, your insurance, banks, healthcare? We want to know what the favorite uh, mode of communication is there. But that's important to know. You need to know 
who your customers are. It's that simple. Yes. And I also believe, oh my God, we could go on and on about, I love this topic. How many hours do we get to spend on the show together? (laughs) Oh my God, it's not enough. It's just not enough. But I have to say that also that Gen X and Gen Z, you got to own your own experience too. And because we have a lot to learn from each other, but also, you know, the, the Gen uh, Z, they are coming into the workplace with a different expectation and they probably have been more, the word coddled isn't right, but definitely more nurtured as a general rule than, you know, my, I mean, no one even paid attention to where I was without a cell phone. <laughs> like, you know, so, <laughs> so it's just so different how we have to manage them and how they need to, especially if they're entrepreneurs, right? The, the Gen Z is a big entrepreneurial group. Well, they still have to, they're still catering to Gen X. And by the way, I think that, you know, my, my kids, my youngest one, 27, going to be 28, I think she's considered Gen, Gen Z and she is so hardworking. But I know what most people want today when uh, uh, there's very little destination employment where you land at a job and you stay there for the next 30 years. Yeah. It's not happening much. You know, you land at a job and it's like, this is what I'm going to need. I, I, I need this on my resume so I have it for my next job. And it's like, you know, I don't want to hear that. Knowing how much time, effort I'm going to be putting into training somebody, it takes six months to a year to fully understand what we do. Somebody can start to really get it after two or three weeks and feel comfortable, but they don't really get it. They just get enough of it. And then, you know, to have to do it all over again, it's frustrating. You know, in a larger company, not quite as bad because it's, you know, there's a talent pool that's probably a little broader. There's a lot of crossover and responsibilities and Maybe it's multiple people doing some of the same thing. So if you lose one or two, it's no big deal. You've got 25 more on the floor that can help you out. But, um, you know, for the smaller businesses, that's that's a big struggle. You need to understand what the work ethic is, which I think the work ethic is very strong. Mm-hmm. But what they want is a, a little bit more recognition than what an older employee might want. And I got to tell you, looking back at how I was, I mean, I always worked for myself, but I remember my friends, I'm not so sure we were all that different from Gen Z. We just grew up. And I think that Gen Z will grow up two generations from now, whatever that generation is, Gen Z is going to be saying the same thing that boomers are saying about Zs. They're going to be saying about those generations. It just is what it is. It's the circle of life. It is. But in the CX world, we have to be very cognizant, empathetic, listening, and adapting. And And we have a lot to learn from each other. Right. No matter what, that will not change. It doesn't matter what year it is. If you're talking to a customer, adaptability to understanding their personality, their issues, empathy is the big word of last year and probably as big a word this year as last year. And empathy is not sympathy. I learned this just the other day. I heard a, I, I had a guest on my show, which you've been on at least twice, yes, maybe three times. I've been back. Yes, yes. And the gentleman said, let's talk about empathy. But before I do that, let's look at what sympathy is. When you have sympathy for somebody, it's like, oh, let me help you because I'm at a better place than you are right now. Okay. When you have empathy, it's, I totally get you. I feel that way too. When, you know, it's like, it's like we're on equals versus sympathy is different. And I thought, well, that's a great delineation, differentiation point that we need to understand. And uh, I said, so it's like you're walking a mile in the customer's shoes. And he goes, exactly. That's right. I go, well, 
I have a philosophy about walking a mile in the customer's shoes. Number one, you get their shoes. Number two, they can't hear you when you're a mile away. So you can say anything you want about them. <laughs> no, of course I'm joking, right? Right? Yes, yes. But wait, go back. Sympathy. Say sympathy again. Yeah, sympathy. The gist I got from it was sympathy was I, I, I mean, I'm here to help you. I'm, I am sympathetic to your cause. Tell me what's wrong. I'm like, not the oh great wise one, but I'm at a level where you're hurting, I'm not, I'm in a better place than you are. And empathy is more like, even if I'm not hurting, I'm getting you. I'm like right there with you. Yes. Okay. I want to just go to sympathy for a second. And I know we're over time, but I can't help it. Okay. I love it. So sympathy, which is what it takes somebody who's in a good state of mind to be able to help those that might not be that case. And I have to tell you, this is such a, hits such a chord because I find that with relationships that it's easy to be there for people who had just had a funeral, who just, you know, health, tough times. It's easy to be there for those people. It's harder to be there for people who just got the promotion, who are happy, who are celebrating. And therefore, it takes a really good person, no matter where I am in my life, that I could be happy for you. And I, mm, yep. and I can give to you no matter what. I can count on one hand really the friends that are that. And I think we need that. We need more of that. Yep. And we need it in, in our personal lives and in our professional lives. Yes. So as a, as a boss of a group of people, that it's about being there for them in their good times, not just their bad, because then they're going to pay it forward. Yep. I like it. I, that's why you are so good at what you do. <laughs> Well, thank you. I have a good role model. <laughs> I'm looking at him. Oh, there you go. Thank you. Thank you very much. <laughs> well, I'm so happy, so happy to be talking to you again. And I'm recommending everybody to get your book. I'm going to put it in the show notes and share with the world because I believe so thank much, you. so much in what you're saying. Awesome. Yeah. I'll be back book.com. All right. Well, no apostrophe in owl on a website, by the way. They don't like apostrophes in URLs. It's I L L. It'll be back book. I'll be back book.com. Well, we're going to make it a link. It's just going to make a link. So you just click. We make it a low There you go. It makes it so easy, low doesn't level it? Level of effort to buy Shep's book. By the way, if you buy it today, I think I mentioned this, you get the ebook immediately. Do you know that? Yes. Yes. That's a plus. Yes. Yeah, so you do get to start. Uh, people will start saying, I'll be back right away. That's what we want them to do. Perfect. Well, I will help spread that word and thank you for thank you being you stacy you're the best thanks for having me thank you take care thank you so much for joining today i hope you will apply the lesson shared and also requesting if you would leave a review on apple it would mean a lot head over to doingcxright.com to learn more ways to connect with me and improve your cx until next time i'm stacy sherman doing cx right